um, hopefully you remember this. In Ghana, when we say praise the Lord, you say hallelujah. So <laughs> praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's really good to be with you this morning. It's fun to see familiar faces, and so I feel at home, and I want to honor um, your pastors for inviting me um, in their absence. Who does that? You know, so um, I'm glad that they trust me um, enough uh, with their pulpit. And, and so as we, today we're going to be in Acts 16, and as I was thinking about it, First um, Timothy, the words of Paul rang very true for me as I reflected on this passage. And Paul says, here's a word that you can take to heart and depend on that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners and I'm proof public sinner number one of anyone who could not have made it apart from his sheer mercy and now he shows me off evidence of his endless patience to, to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever and that's 1 Timothy 1 15 through 16 so let's pray as we, as we dive into the word. If you just pray um, with me. On your own, I want you to just offer your own heart to the Lord and ask him to prepare your heart to receive all that he has for you this morning. And as we continue the prayer, let's, let these song, uh, let's sing this song as a prayer to prepare our hearts. And the words go, I'll say yes, Lord, yes to your will and to your way, I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and I'll obey. And when your spirit speaks to me with our whole heart, we'll agree and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. So let's sing this as an opening prayer. And I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way and I'll say yes Lord yes I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart I'll agree and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. When your spirit, when your spirit speaks to me, with my whole heart I'll agree, and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. So Spirit of the living God, would you continue to speak to us as we hear the word? Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're here. Amen. So we're continuing in Acts 16. Um, uh, last week, uh, Pastor John started Acts 16 uh, for us, and the book of Acts is a perfect book to look at as we look at a church that unites diverse people, because we see individuals, we see communities who have encountered Jesus and are taking to heart the gospel message and are telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, 
throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I think when they probably heard to the ends of the earth, they could not even imagine what that would have meant um, for today. But God is at work in us. And so last week, um, Pastor John started by talking about how your denomination became, its roots um, started from a monocultural church and now to a multi-ethnic and diverse church. And then one of the things he encouraged us is that we have to be consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit. And sometimes in doing that, it requires discernment. It requires um, surrender. And that sometimes God can lead to mission even with closed doors. And so today we're going to continue from 11 all the way to 34. And Luke was the author of Acts, as we know it. But something interesting about this section is that in verse 10, we see the change in language from they to we, suggesting that Luke may have joined them in Troas. And so that's a key part and a key um, just kind of a viewpoint, meaning he was with them. So this was like a first-hand story, not that he heard and they came back and told him. And so that changes even the approach and how he's telling this story. I wanted us to read 11, but it, because it's so long, I'm just going to tell you the first part of 11 through 15, and then I'll have Gloria come and read the rest for us. And so as they went, we heard that they were going to go to a different area, but the Spirit kept them from going. And so suddenly Paul had this vision of a man from Macedonia, and they ended up going to this new area in, Macedonia, in Philippi, which was a district of Macedonia. And so they went with expectations. Um, it's interesting because I was thinking sometimes you know what happens when you have certain expectations. And, but that's not what our talk is about today, so I could go there. They weren't expecting maybe even a man from the vision, but they didn't. Um, they weren't expecting to find a place of prayer. Usually most that was the strategy. They go, they find where the people of God. But here's what they find out as they go to Philippi, that there's no formal place of worship. Usually to have a synagogue or even a Jewish congregation, they needed 10 Jewish men. But there wasn't. And so when there is no synagogue and maybe there was some kind of persecution, there will be places of prayer and usually outside the city gates or by the river. And so this is what is happening in Philippi. And so when he goes, then he finds a lot of women who are in worship. Praise God for women, right? And it is at this point that we see the beginnings of a new church. The story begins in Philippi, and he introduces us to individuals, but especially to a woman called Lydia, a wealthy woman who dealt in purple cloth and fabrics. And so this is where we, um, we come in. So let's, I'm going to invite Gloria up to read 13 um, through 34. And as she reads, let's engage with the characters in the story, because I think they have something to teach us. Once we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, 
These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took, took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and, es and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. So um, we start out with looking at these stories, and today I want us to just follow the stories of the characters and look at how the Holy Spirit is at work, but also how the Holy Spirit is bringing freedom that ends up in some kind of unity. And so Lydia, we see Lydia come in, and, and it said that while when um, Paul went, they talked about the word of the Lord, and Lydia opened her heart to respond to the message. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the message. When I was 15, I attended a denomination, this is back in Ghana, where at 15 you have confirmation. And I don't know if any of you ever went to a church that had that, but you had confirmation classes, and then you get confirmed, then you can actually have communion, you're an official member of the church. And it got to a point where it was more of an age than it was like for real, for real, like you were trusting your faith. I probably signed up just because I wanted to have communion. Um, and probably because the communion wine is good, too. And, uh, uh, but so I took these classes. I, I was a church girl. I grew up in church. I, I did everything, like memorizing stuff, the songs, everything. But during this class, something 
triggered for me. One of the pastors really gave a passionate message, just even challenging us that if you're here because you just want to sign up, then walk out, you know, something like that. I was like, okay. But he explained the gospel so clearly, and it dawned on me. I would say the Lord opened my heart to respond. Because at that point, I realized that I was serious about God, but I didn't love God. I knew about, a lot about God, but I really didn't know God. I didn't have a relationship with him. And so my confirmation became something very different. It became a time I opened my heart to respond to God's love for me. A few years later, um, I was involved in the youth group, and they do a training, an evangelism training. And it was back in the day of the old, you know, four spiritual laws um, days. And so I got trained in that. It was a wonderful training. And after church, usually youth got out before the adults, before big church. And so we kind of hover in the parking lot and just chat. And um, one of the older sisters came to me and said, hey, how was class? And I said, it was good, trying to impress. So I said, oh, we learned about evangelism and the four spiritual laws. She was like, wonderful, show me. And she looked, she said, okay, that girl, let's go. And so I thought, is she going to make me do this right? And I mean, who, who shares the gospel with someone in the church parking lot? It's supposed to be Christian, right? So I follow her, we go, and she says, hi, my friend here just learned something and she would like to share it with you. The girl says, okay, something, you know. So I said, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? And I thought she would say yes. And she said, no. <laughs> so here I am swallowing my pride and trying to go through this message and explaining. And we get to a place where you get with these circles. Are you, who's on your chair? Is God on your chair? Does God have control? And I thought, where are you in this picture? And I thought she's just going to pick the good one and then we can end it because I was still praying swallow me, swallow me, swallow me, swallow me right now. And when we got there, I said, which one are you? And she pointed to her sitting on her own chair. So we get there, and then I say, um, so would you like this day to accept Jesus as your Savior? And she said, actually, yes. So now I have to pray with her. So <laughs> I was young, I was young. So, and so I did, I prayed, got to pray with this girl. And the Lord opened her heart that day um, to him and to his message. I want to say I was that eager, wonderful, welcoming after to get her plugged in. As soon as she said, amen, I think I was probably gone. I, <laughs> but God in his grace had mercy on me. But the Lord opened my heart to receive his message, and he opened that girl's heart to receive a message. And that day, that was for Lydia, that the Lord opened her heart to receive. It's interesting, the place of hospitality even in all of this, because afterwards she invited them to stay with her, and they were like, no, 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 and she convinced them, and they managed to stay. And that was a very big deal for them to stay with a Gentile and a woman, like that was a very big deal. And there's something about giving hospitality and even receiving. We like to give hospitality, we don't like to receive it. But there's something about even receiving that even helps in uniting diversity. We move to the next person, the slave girl. So it says Paul and his friends were going around and this woman just starts screaming and she was um she had uh, this 
gift to tell fortunes, and she had owners. And in those days, they say she was possessed by a spirit, what they would call the spirit of Python. And it was almost like a ventriculist spirit where um, it was, she, with different voices, she would give an oracle about the future. And it was very well known then. It's probably maybe not as common if we say, oh, she's possessed with a spirit. Like, ooh, that's it. But it was very common for them. And these masters and owners exploited her. But then she starts to speak what you will say, the truth, and say, these are the servants of the Most High, and they want to tell you how to be saved. Free publicity, <laughs> free marketing. Um, any campus minister would tell you when you go to a campus to start new things, it's not easy. So suddenly when you get all this free publicity, it's like, good, right? But no. Paul was so annoyed, and he was so troubled. And you think, why doesn't he just take the free publicity and just walk, right? But, you know, in the IVP commentary, it says, even in Paul's mind, free publicity for the gospel from a popularly acclaimed source was not sufficient compensation for spiritual domination, even of someone so insignificant to that society as a slave girl. And so he was annoyed by what the this, this spirit, small s, was doing to her. And notice how he turns and talks to her dignity, right? He was not annoyed at her. He was annoyed at the spirit in her. And it said he turned and he spoke to the spirit. And he says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. And God suddenly it says, suddenly, immediately, God brings double freedom. He brings freedom from demonic bondage, but he also brings freedom for her owners because they were really annoyed. Now she's of no use to them. And so freedom comes in the name of Jesus. I find it interesting that even in the name of Jesus, he can bring freedom to people, not as a mantra to just use, but because in this place, we recognize the king of kings. We recognize the one who Paul says the, at the mention of his name, everything will bow, even that spirit of Python. And it brought her double freedom. I wish we knew more of the story, but I bet you she was part of the beginnings of that Philipp Philippian church. Then we go to Paul and Silas. So Paul and Silas, minding their own business, of course, he's kind of angered some people who have just lost a significant income, and so now they try to accuse them. They are slandered, they are dragged, they are flogged, they are stripped, they are beaten. And they were not only thrown in jail, but in order to guard them carefully, they had to put them in an inner cell, put their feet in chains. It's almost like a maximum security. Maybe a few of you have experienced the trauma of being put in a jail cell, but I'm sure most of you have not experienced this and cannot even begin to imagine what it's like. But I'm sure most of us have been in some form of pain whether it's physical, emotional, a heartbreak, etc., We've been a pain, and somehow pain amplifies itself in the night. I don't know what is up about that, but it amplifies in the night. Think back to the moment that you were in that pain. Would you have broken out in praise to God or even worship? Maybe some of you have even had a friend who says, let's pray, and then you kind of get irritated with them. <laughs> But something happened in that cell where Paul and Silas, they had to make a choice 
to look to God in the midst of that pain. They used that confinement as an opportunity for worship, and worship they did. I mean, it was a worship that caused, it says the prisoners listened. So, I mean, it was loud. I am assuming it was very loud. And if it was more than day, I can imagine them saying, I raise a hallelujah, right? In the presence of my enemies, like just really getting into it. It was a worship that shook the foundations of the cell. That is what I call jailhouse rock. <laughs> and as they worshiped, chains were loosened. Not just theirs, but the people who were there with them. They were liberated. They were free again to continue in ministry. The place of pain became a place of ministry. It's interesting because I thought, oh, now they're free to go. Get out of Philippi. No, God didn't free them to run. In this case, God freed them to stay. And sometimes maybe you're thinking, I just need freedom so I can leave and get out of this church. Maybe God is bringing you freedom so you can stay and be a part of this ministry. Paul was free to share the opportunity of freedom to a man who fastened his own chains. This jailer woke up in chaos and the realization that he was already a dead man and might as well kill himself. And I was just imagining, I don't know if any of you have ever watched a West African movie, maybe anybody? Anyone in Bumble? They call them Nollywood movies. Okay. Well, you're very entertaining. I thought, this will make a good one. And I could see the jailer just putting his hand on his head and just screaming because he knows he was a dead man. But he got salvation that day. What must I do to be saved? That's what he asked. When was the last time someone asked you that question? Or maybe you are asking that question. I remember years ago, I got an email from a student who just said, it's my first time in the USA, also my first week in the USA. I'm not good at English. I don't have any friends, and I'm not a Christian yet, and I want to be a Christian. You don't get emails like that all the time. <laughs> Maybe some of you do. But just that simple email led to this girl coming to know Jesus. It was like, I was like, I thought it was a joke. But when I met with her, it wasn't a joke. She was very serious about it. Maybe you're asking the same question. You've kind of heard kind of maybe Bible study is vague, but you're not sure. What must I do? Believe, trust in, rely in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And it wasn't just for the jailer, but his whole family. Paul got to share hospitality. Paul got to go to his home, and the jailer got to bathe his wounds. He, get to, he got to speak the word of God, and the whole family got saved. So I say all these four people that we'll see, there'll be a chart next that shows all four, that I believe moved and received freedom in some way or fashion, because in that freedom that they received, it helped even in the movement of mission and the movement of the gospel. But even the three that we see, um, Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer, they are really significant in this story as this church is beginning 
It is said, a lot of commentaries said that back in the day, the head of a Jewish household would pray this same prayer every day. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. But John Stott says, here are representatives of these three despised categories, redeemed and united in Christ. That everyone can receive freedom. Slave, woman, Gentile, rich, poor, middle class. That Galatians 3 says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And the good news matters to all people. And if we're talking about diversity, we're not talking about just putting different ethnicities. We're talking about diversity of backgrounds, diversity of stories. No matter their background, that Jesus brings freedom so all people will know him. I read an article the other day where Pope Francis um, said, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the author of diversity, but at the same time the creator of unity. And that Philippian church, if you've read Philippians, people call it the book of joy. So the founding members of the church of joy, a woman, a slave, a Gentile. Diversity was in their DNA from the beginning. The result, even of the jailer becoming, following Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus was joy. So joy even was in their DNA because they received freedom. And we need the Holy Spirit to give us that same discernment, to shape our expectations, to unite us no matter our backgrounds, to bring freedom and make us a people of joy. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that as we expand our view of what diverse is, we will realize that the Holy Spirit is bringing people from different backgrounds to church. Will we make room? Room for others that are different than you. Room in your own heart for God to bring freedom. You know, I, I went to a retreat place one time, and I love to go in the bookstores. And the bookstore had a book, and the title was God, I Have Issues. And me and my friend laughed, and we laughed, and we thought, oh. then I thought, for real, like, this is a good book. We do have issues. <laughs> And you know the reason why holds, what holds us back from diversity is we have issues. I mean, even Paul and Barnabas, right before this, had a sharp disagreement. They had issues. If you thought Paul was perfect, he wasn't. He had issues. But for the sake of the gospel, they worked through their issues. And their disagreement did not even affect mission. The nice thing, the nice and not so nice thing is that the beauty of diversity shows the beauty of the gospel but it's messy because people have issues. Maybe you have issues. And most of the time when different people come, sometimes you have issues because you don't like the way they talk. They're too loud. They're too quiet. Like, or you don't like how they, they do things. But the church is messy. Read Acts. It starts out wonderfully, but then it gets messy. But it's good messy for God's sake. 
there was a church I knew of um, here in Houston that um, was shrinking. They were trying to grow in diversity, so they hired a new youth pastor, and he was an evangelist. So he just went out to the whole neighborhood, invited people. So maybe they had like 10 youth, and suddenly they had 50, and it was like growing. And the only thing was that they were going in their neighborhood. The neighborhood was um, just not an easy neighborhood, and so uh, the youth he was reaching were youth that were very poor, from poor family backgrounds, or um, they were homeless, some were in gangs, and some just had a hard life. And it was good because these youth were coming to Jesus, except sometimes when these things happen, people write letters. And so people wrote letters to their pastor because they weren't too happy about who was being brought in because they were all very different than the people in the church. Unfortunately, they fired the pastor, which was not a good thing. Messy issues. But God and the Holy Spirit are the ones that unite and bring freedom. That way we can be in the same place together. I like my churches. My church's identity statement is that we are a community of broken people. So we say that all the time. We're a community of broken people learning to be loved like Jesus so we can love like Jesus. Everywhere I go, there's a quote I saw years ago, and if, I ha- if anything in my talk has Holy Spirit, I always like to share it, because there's something about this that is so real for us. It's from the Lausanne um, Covenant. I don't know if you've ever heard the word Lausanne. It's like a movement, a global movement that mobilizes leaders from around the world for world evangelization. And in 2010, they gathered in South Africa. And this was one of their commitments as they were looking at what was happening in the world. And it says, we love the Holy Spirit in the unity of the Trinity. Along with God the Father and God the Son, he's the missionary spirit sent by the missionary Father and missionary Son, breathing life and power to God's missionary church. We love and pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit because without the witness to Christ, our own witness is futile. Without the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, our preaching is in vain. Without the gifts, guidance, and power of the Spirit, our mission is mere human effort. And without the fruit of the Spirit, our unattractive lives cannot reflect the beauty of the gospel. We want to reflect the beauty of the gospel as we let God move us into freedom. Because God gathers all It's amazing, the picture of this church. And each of us has our own form of chains. As we look at the story, who are you in the story? Maybe you don't identify with anybody, but the Spirit is talking to you. Go with the Holy Spirit. But if it's someone in the story, I want to highlight them again. Because God can open our hearts again, and he can do it by giving us experiences of liberation. So I asked the jailer's question, what must we do to be saved or to be set free? Are you Lydia, moral, successful, God-fearing, good, maybe even wealthy, and you're embarrassed of your wealth, but you just don't know God? Are you the slave girl? Maybe your past and present are filled with bondage, and you want to be free. There is room for you here. Are you like the jailer? You just need Jesus. Maybe you don't need an earthquake to remind you of your need for Jesus. Are you like Paul and Silas? 
Can you lift your eyes to the Father in the midst of your suffering or your pain or maybe your own issues? And would you let the Spirit free you to the things that he's called you to? Would you not let suffering hold you back from mission? So where in your life do you need the Holy Spirit to bring freedom? That's what I want our reflection to be this morning. Where in your life do you need the Holy Spirit to bring freedom? This same Holy Spirit who gave Paul and the disciples the courage to sing in jail will bring freedom to any place that we are bound and access what if we let the author of diversity bring freedom and unity? I can't even imagine. You will display the beauty of the gospel. John 8.36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So in the name of Jesus, be free. Receive the freedom of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you set us free to be a church that welcomes and reflects your unity. Thank you, Lord, that you are the repairer of broken walls. Thank you that you continue to show access what it means to be a church that unites diversity. Thank you, Lord, that we can't do it without your spirit. We can't do it without you. But Lord, in order to do it, we need your freedom. So bring freedom to every area of our hearts, even the parts that we're embarrassed to ask you for. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful example of the beginnings of the first European church. Holy Spirit, lead us. Holy Spirit, have your way. Come, Holy Spirit.